Hey, welcome back to The Deal. I'm Danny Brown. If you haven't subscribed and left us a comment so far, please do that and help us out. It would make a huge difference to me and I'd really appreciate if you could do that. Just go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to The Deal with Danny Brown and leave a comment about it. Give us a five-star review if you dig the content. Uh, if you're into watching video instead of audio, you can catch us on YouTube at The Deal with Danny Brown. This week's episode is with Michael Normand. Been in the business a long time. We started about the same time. One of the good guys in the business, he's the president of Normand, which is a family boutique brokerage started by his dad in the 70s and then his mom uh, was a huge rainmaker and still is in Beverly Hills. So it's really an interesting story about a family business and some of the history around Beverly Hills real estate in the 70s and 80s. Uh, Persian families coming from Iran and immigrating to Los Angeles and Beverly Hills, uh, which was a huge part of late 70s and 80s Los Angeles. Uh, and this is a great sort of history lesson and breakdown of what he's seeing in the market and what I'm seeing in the market and all that other interesting stuff that we like to share. School is in session. Check it out. Mikey Norman, welcome to The Deal. Good to see you. You are in the hot seat, brother. What's going on? I like it. Thank you for having me. You just finished your swim, your morning workout. You made it here. You look clean and dressed and ready to rock. Three mornings a week, uh, usually in the ocean, sometimes surf, sometimes pool uh, with my older brother. Oh, that's awesome. Do you guys get in the water a couple times a week like that? Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Where do you go? So usually Tower 26 in Santa Monica. Yeah. Uh, but, if, but if not, we swim at the uh, Westwood Rec or yep. we go to uh, SMT. Awesome. Well, look, let's jump right into it. Uh, you, you're the president of Norman, a boutique brokerage in Beverly Hills, family-run business. Uh, we'll get into the how it started and how you got into it, but why don't we just do a quick where you were raised. Obviously, we know each other and grew up in LA together. Where you were raised and how you got into real estate, and then from there, we can go back and tell the Norman story. Sounds good. So uh, born and raised in Beverly Hills. My parents bought their house when I was literally in a basket and they're still there. Uh, Beverly Hills High School, uh, two years at Santa Monica College, then transferred into USC. And I got started in the business kind of really early on in the sense that like our mitzvah theme was Monopoly. <laughs> I thought, you know, it was a cool thing. Uh, my parents would talk about uh, business at the dinner table. My brother and sister didn't think it was that interesting. I wanted to figure out like, all right, how are they going to make a deal? How's it going to come together? And they used to have the parties for the office at our house. Think of a one office, old school company. Oh, You've yeah. got all your agents and staff. They come to your parents' house like for, for the afternoon. And I'm going and talking with everybody. And I remember my dad being like, wait, you like doing this? And I was like, yeah, it's fun. And he's like, okay, well, real estate's probably a good fit for you. So fast forward, I'm in high school. Yeah. I'm a senior. I'm dating a girl whose dad is a real estate investor. And we're talking and kind of similar backgrounds. Like he went to Beverly, Santa Monica, SC, and he's talking about, okay, 
before you can buy property, you have to do something to make money first. So uh, he's like, you should get your real estate license and go and broker deals. And then when you have the money from that, you can go and you can start investing. What a so, contract. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. You're in high school. In high school. Yeah, yeah. in high school. So by the time uh, I graduate high school, uh, within like six months after I have my real estate license, don't do anything with it, but I have it. And then sort of the, the transformation from there was I started working, uh, uh, doing admin jobs in the summer. Yeah. And that was really good because um, it gave me a chance to see the process, handle some of the staff jobs, get to know the agents, yeah. uh, become more familiar with the business. And then from there, um, I felt like, okay, I know that this is what I'm going to do. So before I finished at SC, I had already started, you know, brokering deals and I'd closed like three deals uh, before I was done. So, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, but I got probably a little bit of an earlier start than you, even though. Yeah, I that's a pretty you. early start. So who are those first three deals with? Are these friends that are in college or their parents or for, like, who's, who's using us 18 year old kid? So I was, I was about 20. A 20 year old, okay, excuse me. You were very mature at that point. But really young. So, okay. Very so one seasoned. Of them, one of them was a family friend. Yeah. Uh, that um, sold a lot of cars. And he had sold uh, uh, my dad some cars and leased some cars to my mom. So that was the first one. That was a condo on the Wilshire Corridor for 770000 Oh, huge. Regency Wilshire. I was stoked. Yeah. Huge paycheck. You're 20? Yeah. The <laughs> second large. one was a, uh, was a family friend also um, that did carpool with like my siblings. And they yeah. bought a house for a million three in Westwood. Wow. You were getting some big deals. And then the third one was a friend of my brother's. It was uh, my brother's friend's older brother. And they had a condo in Brentwood. So you were like, hey, this is great. This is so easy. I just just knocked down deals. No, it wasn't so easy. So um, so I'm finishing at SC and Adam Sires, uh, who's my business partner, yeah. we broker all of our deals together. We're there together. We're the same year. And Adam and I kind of, we were at the same school. We met in Hebrew school and then we were at the same school. It seemed like from that point on. Yeah. El Rodale, Beverly, SC. Followed so, each other around. Yeah. Same Followed each other around, went on a, a youth trip to LA Old Pond. So he's talking about going to law school. Okay. And I'm thinking, why don't you come in? Well, let's partner. He's um, really good at a lot of things that aren't my strong suit. We come, we, uh, we're in similar circles socially. Yeah. Um, he's very personable. He's really good with like design stuff and and landscaping and things that I just I didn't have that skill set when I started. So I convinced him to start working with me. But the difference is he's done at SC. Mm -hmm. I'm a super senior and yeah. I've got two classes in the fall semester. Yeah. While I'm also working. And then I go to study abroad in Budapest, Hungary. Okay. So that was sort of the, the start the of that partnership. And you guys 
so he he never turned back either. You both jumped in uh, after school, and here you are years later. Yeah, very different. Listen, you know what it was like. People people would look at me and be like, "You're a real estate agent." Like it's kind of okay because your family owns the business. Yeah. Like otherwise, like why did you go to college? Yeah. It's changed. It's changed. It's changed a lot. Our business has really changed a lot. Okay, we're going to stop there. That was your Mikey quick story up to getting in the business. So let's talk about Norman because this is a very unique, interesting family business. Uh, your dad started the business, correct? Although your mom has been the big name in the business in Beverly Hills for many years. Now you've been the president for what, five years, 10 years? I don't know how many years, a, a while. 15 years you've been the president. Um, so why don't you talk about the challenges of what it was, jo jo the pros and cons of joining the family business as a newer agent and building your business under your family's name. But actually, let's start with how your dad started Norman. Don't let's change it up. I want to hear how your dad, why he started it, why that business, and then how that grew and how your mom got involved. And we'll take it from there and then we'll get back to you. Okay. So my dad came to the U.S. when he was 17 to go to college. Yeah. And his thing was that he wanted to live in the U.S. He didn't, this wasn't a, hey, I'm going to go get educated in the U.S. and then I'm going to go back to the old country. Yeah. So came here 17, uh, uh, studied engineering, master's in structural engineering, uh, did that, uh, had a business partner and it just didn't quite work. They they had different philosophies. The business partner's thing was building a resume. And my dad's thing was, let me negotiate the deal. We'll make money. And yep. the business partner was, well, we're going to get all these jobs. And then down the road, we'll then start charging. So they had different viewpoints. Yeah. My dad met somebody randomly who told him to get his real estate license. And he took like one of these, I think, night classes. Yeah. Got his license. Uh, and he put an apartment building deal in Brentwood together. Okay. And it was going and then it fell apart and then it happened. And at that point, my sister had just been born. And I think he looked and thought, wait a second. I just made on one deal what I'd make in like a year and a half of work. And my grandfather in Iran was very well connected. And Persians were coming into town yeah. like to buy... You have to think pre-revolution. So 73, 74, 5, 6, 7. They would come into town for like two weeks or three weeks, buy three houses, oh and then God. go back. Oh. And my dad was the guy. He was the guy. He was the guy. He was the connection. He was the Persian connection to the old yeah. country. Some weeks he would sell two or three houses in a week. Oh, my God. And they'd come in with a bag of cash, buy. Were they renting it out? Was the plan they were going to move and use it? Or who knows? I think uh, I think some of it was renting it, but I mean, some people would give them power of attorney. Yeah. Um, and the thing was, the economy in Iran at that point in the 70s was really, really good. And they couldn't believe how cheap properties were here because relative wow. to Iran, they were a good value. Okay. So they would come and they would, they would look at my dad. And first, he wined and dined them, took them yeah. to Rodeo Drive, movies, fancy restaurants. Some of them supposedly even like stayed with us, but I don't remember because I wasn't born until 81. So yeah. he would, he would, they would come and he would show my house and they would say like, this is in Beverly Hills. And he would say, yeah. And they would look at him and say like, 
this is like what why is it so like what's wrong with this house yeah they so, didn't understand it they buy three houses one for them one for their son one for their daughter and then they go back to iran wow <laughs> that's how it started that's how it started <laughs> so and then he did it from 73 to 76 approximately for somebody else and then he started the business and business was really really good until the revolution Right. Okay. I would think it would get even better with more people coming. That's what most people think. So a lot of people left their money in Iran. Some came with money, but a lot of them left their money behind. And it's like, imagine that I take you and your family and I put you in, I put you in Iran. You don't know the language as well. Yeah, you may speak Farsi, but I mean, listen, you, you went to uni. So close enough to Beverly, there was some Farsi there. Uni Farsi. <laughs> You know, so Gorban, June, well, yeah, uni Farsi. It's like uni Farsi. Then there's real like Farsi. First and say a couple, a couple of funny words. So yeah. even though they, they, a lot of people took English in Iran, it's not their first language. Some came without money. Um, you didn't have an income. So all of a sudden, you know, you had to figure it out. Yeah. And then also you had a really, really anti-Persian sentiment. Yeah. Iranian it's hostage. It's a typical immigrant story. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so that was kind of like the first iteration of the company is that. Then kind of the second, the, the 2.0 uh, is my mom gets in the business kind of in like 88-ish circa. Oh, wow. She didn't get into the late 80s. Okay. Big, big hair, 80s, big money, 80s. Big hair, shoulder pads. So let me get, I mean, just hearing the timing at this point, you're in elementary school, your brother and sister are in elementary school. So they're, you're out of the house. Is that mom's now ready to, she's got the kids out of the house. She's now ready to get back in the workforce. And is that, was that the progression? Is that what happened? Yeah, sort of. Uh, I think when my brother and sister who are older than me, my dad worked like an animal, you know, around the clock all day, every day, you know, type of person, worked, came home, had dinner with family, went back to work, a lot of schmoozing. Yeah. Uh, my mom, I think, yeah, once I got a little bit older, got into it, and she went from sort of like taking my brother and sister to, especially my sister, to like dancing and singing and all that kind of stuff, to, um, to focusing on real estate. And the idea originally for my mom was, she was talking to all the other moms when like my sister was doing like, I think Al Gilbert was like a dance studio. Okay. So while my sister was doing that, she was talking to the other moms, finding out like who's moving, where they're going, who's getting married, who's getting divorced, who's having a kid. And my dad's like, go and get your license. And my mom's like, maybe I'll sell a house or two a year to kind of help out. <laughs> yeah. And then sort of the rest is history. She took off pretty quickly. Yeah. So Normand in 88, as a brokerage, how many agents were there at that time? Small, really small. Okay. One office uh, in 88, we were- or Around the, when your mom started. Huh? Thinking of like when your mom was getting yeah, in. Yeah. So we were we had a small little office on Beverly Drive. I think we were the storefront where a pee in the pod was, right by Kristoff. Yeah. Um, maybe 30 agents, okay. all West side for the most yeah. part. Um, we had some hitters, but 
um, you know, you know, this is big business now. It was like, you know, back then, like maybe you had an assistant. It wasn't like now. And um, the difference when my mom got in the business was that she had a lot more like entertainment clientele, business managers, entertainment attorneys. Um, The clientele kind of shifted. Yeah, good clients to have. All right. So she gets in. She blows up immediately, becomes a top broker in Beverly Hills. We're going to zoom past that. Uh, Now we're back to you starting your career, uh, getting out of college and joining the family business. So what, tell me a little bit about some of the challenges you had starting your career at a family business. What were some of the, you know, the things that were really difficult and then maybe talk about some of the things where you thought were advantages, uh, you know, what was that like your first five years, you know, out of school, starting trying to grow your brokerage business? So I want to start with the advantages first. I like to think of the glass being half full, sure. even though I'm realistic. Like I knew, for example, going into 2022, it wasn't going to be a re- repeat of 2021. You know, I knew that going in. So um, the obviously the advantages were through like osmosis. I learned a lot of stuff. You know, my mom was showing me a lot of like how to broker deals. I remember uh, one of the first deals I was doing, the buyer came to our office and I'm thinking, okay, they come to the office. Let's get down to business. What are we writing? How are we doing it? What are we getting the deal? And my mom showing pictures of my niece and asking, you know, how the uh, buyer's siblings are. And I was like, wait, like, come on, like, let's, let's, let's go. And I understood that it's a relationship business yep. and you just can't, it's not, you know, quick hanky panky. You gotta, yeah. you gotta ease into it, exchange pleasantries, get to know each other, show that you there's genuine care and, and all that. Um, so that was really good. And then on that deal, uh, we knew the seller and we met with the seller at his restaurant So think old days, right? Presenting. We presented to the seller and we were representing the buyer. Yeah. And my mom came to that meeting with me and she closed it. Yeah. She helped close the deal. I was, listen, I was 20, 21. I wasn't, yeah, I I wasn't there yet. So that was, you know, one of the, that's a big pro. The other thing was that I got to see my dad run the business and see a lot of the things he did really well very charming, charismatic, um, smart. And I got to see some of the things he did that maybe I would do a little bit differently. Um, He could be, you know, kind of stubborn or maybe someone would uh, rub him the wrong way. And maybe he would do something that was detrimental to himself because he didn't like the way he was treated or, um, and look, you've been around a long time. When agents get very successful, not always, but often, you know, comes the wearing sunglasses in the office, not coming to the office meetings, changing the way you act. And as a brokerage uh, mentality. <laughs> yeah, you know, look, I get it. You're in high demand and, and you've earned it. But, you know, you start with somebody who didn't have anything. And the number one person who should get credit is the agent. But there are people who help them along the way. Sure. And that's, and that sort of like, I don't need you anymore mentality. I'm a big fish. 
it, it was it was uh it was it hard. Did well, didn't sit well with your dad. No, didn't sit well with my dad. So uh, you got to kind of see that uh, some of the cons were obviously the perception that you know oh I came in it was handed to me. But the people inside the company, I never felt that way because they saw me working every day. Yeah. They saw me in the office early. Uh, they saw me when I worked that summer doing like admin jobs where like, which if I can take it back memory lane, when I started, you're talking like system four. So no, no MLS.com, right? It was a, it was a software. You had to go into the office to look up property. People oh wanted God. to know, people want to know what's for sale. You call a real estate agent or you wait for the LA Times over the weekend. Um, offers, that was before my time. <laughs> we yeah. had people last when I started. <laughs> Listen, offers faxed. This is yeah, pre Mongo fax. Pre Mongo fax. I remember that. <laughs> Smartphones. We're talking like, remember like the Nokia? Nokia, like the yeah. Coffee? Or the Motorola Flip or Motorola yeah. Razor. That's what I had. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you had that perception. I think there were people that thought like, oh, you know, um, here's a, a another guy growing up in Beverly Hills, you know, Silver Spoon. But yeah. I think the people inside the company understood that I that I was a hard worker and I had, you know, kind of gained their respect pretty early on. Yeah. 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 So you grinded and people respected that. So how long did it take you to get to a place where you felt like, okay, I have I, I have an established business, man. Everyone's different. I mean, a lot of people say it takes a decade. Some people say it takes five years. I mean, everyone's different. But in your experience, where did how long did it take you to get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm, this is it. I got a real business. It's sustainable. Obviously, even now there's challenges no matter what level you're at. But I'm saying being a young guy and not, you know, like that's a tough, that's a tough obstacle to overcome in a business where you're dealing in Beverly Hills with high net worth, sophisticated people. And here's this young guy, you know, so walk me through that. And, you know, just the challenges of being a younger broker starting your business. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I think, would you buy a house from a 21 year old? No. I wouldn't buy a house from a 21 year old. No. I, I'm sort of an old soul. So I was fairly mature in that regard, but I wore a suit and tie. Yeah. I never wear a tie now. I go to mediation, I go to a listing presentation. Unless I'm going to a black tie wedding, I will not wear a tie. But I wore yeah, a tie. That's too. Style, you know, the, the formality of yeah. business attire too, for the most part. Definitely more casual now. But uh, so anyway, so so I did I did that kind of stuff. It took some time. I think when I was about 24, 25, I had, you know. I made like six figures, not that, not that in today's dollars that that's. Oh, well, that's a big deal. A, a young guy then. Yeah. <laughs> right. 24, 24, 25. I did that. We bought, um, I bought a duplex with Adam uh, Sires, my business half, and also my brother. Good old days, right? 10% down. So three and a third percent each. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of, at that point I felt good, but then. You know, 2006, for whatever reason, the market got a little shifty on me. Yeah, well, it did. It became a little bit harder. The, you know, I, I, I didn't, it wasn't like now where you had like coaches and, and this is how you prospect and this is how you do. It was a little bit more like mom and pop back then, right? 
You go to a party, you bump into somebody, they say their son's looking, you follow up with them on Monday, they work with you. You know, it wasn't like now where you've got kind of like the three buyer models, right? You've got the first one, which is, which I know you you know as well, and uh, certain people can like this this model is I go direct, right? So the the buyer goes direct. That's no matter just, what, <laughs> that's just that's model number one. Okay, model number two I call the free agent buyer. They go off with whoever, whenever this person on this house, that one. Yeah. Which I actually think model two is the worst. The worst because. Nobody's in your corner, At conflicts all. of interest. They don't know what you want. To me, model two, I always tell people, you, you go model one or model three. Model three is- Model one's pretty bad too, unless you end up and get lucky and it's a good guy or a good gal at the list agent, which is Model not one, I think often rewards agents that maybe are lean into double ending a little bit. Yeah. But uh, model three is sort of the- it's an exclusive relationship. I look with you and I'll tell people like, hey, look, if you're at a party and there's something and somebody tells you about a place, I'm not gonna put my interests ahead of yours, but here's what I want you to do. I want you in that scenario to work me into the deal somehow. I'll partner with the person, get me a referral fee, get me something to show like, look, you appreciate the time and effort that I put, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you don't go buy a house which is in your best interest because I didn't know about it. Yeah, that's smart. So okay, so back to your question. Uh, I'd say it took about uh, I would say I had that 2005 was good, I had 2007. So I'd say probably about a good five years, which I think three to five years is usually the amount of time I tell somebody that it takes to get over the hump. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a good ad. If you're really grinding and you're going all out every day, which, by the way, only some, a few, not most people don't do that. But yeah, I think I, I would say three to five years, depending on how the market is, this and that. All right. So true. So you got through the uh, the crazy recession. That had to be very tough. It was tough on all of us. All of our businesses got hit hard. But here we are in a new situation in uh, you know late January 2023 last back half of the second half of the year was challenging uh what are some of the challenges now now that you're running the business or you're you know now you've been an established top broker for many years what are some of the challenges you're facing uh in this market and just in general even in the good market you know over the last 3 or 4 years so the first challenge which i don't think is going to surprise you from running a brokerage standpoint is the margins, right? Yeah. The, 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 the model agents make more money. They either get a higher split a marketing money, parking, a perk, something, right? Uh, maybe a, a, a client thrown at them. Um, so the margins are, have become more, more challenging without, without question. Then you kind of look at it. And the other part of it is that, uh, uh, staff compensation increased. So you're getting kind of the squeeze you know, yeah. revenue coming down, uh, staff compensation coming up. So that, and then you throw in the, we're in a transaction recession. Yep. It's a traditional market, but we're in a transaction recession. The companies are geared right now uh, for 2021 sales volume. And we're all starting in 2022, making adjustments 
to sort of try to figure out how to turn a profit. Um, but I think that you've seen you've seen cost cutting kind of starting in 2022, right? Because it's easier. It's hard to go, Danny. I know you had an off year, and I'm gonna rework your deal. That's harder. There is a little bit of that. You yeah. know, maybe somebody who had 2021 was a big jump, but was kind of out of character. Yeah. Um, and then you've got you know, okay, so some marketing money gets cut, some other stuff. Um, but I think that ex the expense side, the bottom line, uh, is sort of where you're going to see. So I think that certain jobs that you don't necessarily have to be inside the office, I could see some outsourcing, a little bit of freelance. So I'll give you like two examples. If you're doing social media, the person uh, who's doing social media at a real estate company, they don't necessarily have to be in the office to do it. You know, you can do social media and you can make a newsletter. Absolutely. And you could be in Wyoming. Yeah. So if that person goes from being a full-time person to maybe a, a, a part-time person and it's freelance, so uh, they can do it whenever they have time, they're not an employee. So now all of a sudden, 40 hours is roughly 15 hours they bill you. You don't have social security, Medicare. Cutting um, expenses. All of a sudden you get some cost savings there. Um, another example of something like that, I know I'm getting a little bit granular, but I think that these are the topics that people don't usually talk about, which I think are important. Yeah. Somebody who's handling relocation. Relocation, um, you know, so let's say that a company from New York that's in our uh, network calls us and says, hey, I have a seller on 123 Main Street. That's not really a 40 hour a week kind of a job anymore. Yeah, they're dealing with our network of companies. They're dealing with corporate relocation. Uh, they're dealing with relocation companies. But that part of it can be something else that could be um, uh, outsourced. So I think that, and then I think the other thing that you'll probably see, and then we can switch topics because I, I don't want to lose uh, people's attention is sort of, all right, um, what fees are companies going to introduce? Because if I say, Danny, I'm doing X, Y, and Z specifically to you, you may feel a little bit targeted, right? But if I say, everyone's going to pay a fee of X on a sale or everyone's going to pay an extra fee on Y on a lease, right? Especially right now with a lot of leases, or there's going to be a tech fee that when we collect, you know, that everybody pays that. I just think that companies are going to get more creative. Yeah, they need to. They definitely need to. All right. Now let's shift to uh, challenges of uh, not from the broker or manager side, but just as an agent, what would you say agents should be doing right now? If you were like, hey, you're meeting with agents and they're all having challenges and they're asking you, Mikey, you've been in this, you've been up and down markets, your family's been in it for a long time. Uh, you know, we're in a transitioning market. We came out of a market that I say it wasn't easy because we were all so busy. That part was hard, but it was easy for things to sell. And I think a lot of agents that haven't been in normal markets don't realize that, you know, just putting it in the MLS and it sells and it's easy and the buyers take on no contingencies and no, no credit. So that's gone. Now we're here. So what are some advice and some 
mindset advice and maybe even some tactical things where you'd be like, hey, what should I be doing now? You know, if I'm agents asking Mikey, what's the advice you would give them? Well, I think the first thing is uh, we were all so busy. Maybe we got away from prospecting. Absolutely. So I'm busy to prospect. Like I didn't come in calls. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, uh, I, I go and I talk to agents, our company, other companies, and the overwhelming message is not my phone is ringing off the hook. I don't know. I, I don't know how to service all the business. Yeah. So the first, thing is, <laughs> the first thing is that everybody should have a CRM. Yeah. And, and uh, I think uh, Anthony Margulies, when he spoke, he said the best CRM is the one that you use. Yeah. So most companies provide a CRM. Uh, we use, um, uh, we, we usually work with ReChat, but it doesn't, they're, yeah, they're you just all... need something that you use. Yes. Every day and stay on yes. top of. Okay. So CRM. So CRM. Okay, I use my CRM. I'm now I'm using it. What do I do? So I, my, my viewpoint is uh, you should be in touch with your past clients at least three times a year. That to me seems to be the right amount. I don't know about your clientele, but my clientele, if I reached out to them every two weeks or every month, that that's not like keeping in touch. That's annoying. Yeah. Right. Your people are busy. My people are busy. They love you, but they don't want to hear from you that much. Yeah. So that's the first thing. So, you know, CRM, uh, I think a, a newsletter is good and taking the time to, you know, if it's somebody really young, they may want to text. If it's somebody older, they may want a phone call. Um, you know, there's nuances, nuances, calling them for their birthday. I know there are people who call for uh, anniversary of closings and their, you know, wedding anniversaries and stuff. I usually stick to birthdays and hitting them three times a year. Yeah. The other things I told our agents are one, um, leasing. You're going to do leases now. There'll be a lot of leases. Talk to me about that. God, I so, hate leases, but so I, know I, have, what, I know what you're saying. I mean, in the leases, you got to do them, especially when you're building a business. Leases right now are, if you look at sales are down and leases are way up. There's a lot of leasing going on right now. Um, a lot of people are unwilling to take a lower price. They're okay to lease. They're okay even to lease it for less than they think it's worth to lease it, just to sort of kick the can down the road and wait for yeah. wait so for a time to sell or whatever. Yeah. So I tell people, uh, don't thumb your nose up at leases. Um, the second thing I, I've advised is look into multifamily, duplexes, fourplexes, triplexes. They move, and you've got a lot of new legislation which is very tenant friendly. And there are going to be people who are going to say, you know what? I'm tired of California. I'm going to sell everything I have or sell one property, wash my hands or trade it into industrial or something else. Um, and to me, uh, two to four units usually is a residential broker. And then five plus is usually commercial. But there's obviously some, some mix uh, both ways there. Yeah. Um, the third thing I've told them is... Uh, consider learning a new market. So I have a couple agents who have done some business now in Palm Springs. Okay. And also look into outgoing referrals. It's a great, Other you know, markets. yeah, we're part of leading real estate companies of the world, which is like the top independent companies. Yeah. So um, like in New York, it's Brown Harris Stevens, which is really well known yes. um, in uh, Chicago. It's at property. So my thing is that, you go and you make an 
introduction. That's the, the, my opinion, the best wording. You make an introduction to somebody and we have a relocation person who will handle it. You can interview the person. If your client doesn't like it, you can reassign it. That's the most money you're going to make on your time. Yeah. Yeah. 25% of a deal where you spend you make an, maybe an hour. Yeah. It's incredible. I've uh, believed that wholeheartedly. And, you know, a lot of those relationships, like all relationships, aren't overnight. They're not, you can't think transactional, but those long term friendships and relationships with agents around the world. I mean, those deals, when they fall in your lap, like you said, it's an hour or two, whatever it is, get a piece of a deal and you don't have to think about it. That's an incredible revenue stream. Yeah. So what have you seen um, if you, you know about the market now? I mean, we were talking about this before we started recording, and certainly we're, we're in a uh, transactional recession, you call it. I don't know. Transactions are, are way down. But there's still plenty of transactions happening. Uh, I know I've been in multiple offers uh, three the last three times I've written offers over the last three or four weeks. Uh, I'm in one now with 10 offers in Santa Monica. I think you just mentioned you're in one uh, in Westwood. So that sounds confusing, right? It's like, what are what's going on? If we're in this recession and they, yet there's multiple offers, it sounds like a really convoluted, psychotic situation. And it's hard to explain because clients are like, well, what is going on? Can I get 50% off on uh, Camden Drive and the flats? And I'm like, no, I don't know if you can get 2% off, but you might be able to get a house. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we're definitely in a transactional recession. And sometimes I think the consumer equates that with prices. Yeah. And I don't see prices falling, dropping, um, maybe, you know, small, small amounts, you know, whether that be a little bit of negotiation on the initial round or a little bit more play on the request for repair. Sure. Um, you're always going to have people that are going to buy and sell. And right now it's a traditional market. So you have life-changing events, right? Somebody gets married. They need more space. They're having kids. They need to be near a school or work, death, uh, divorce, that kind of stuff. Uh, relocation. Things. <laughs> yeah, life-altering life events. So yeah. there, there's still business to be done. The, the challenge is that a lot of people have refinanced. Yes. It's it's very easy for them to stay where they are. Right. Um, their property tax bill is lower. They don't have transaction costs. So you need you need buyers and sellers that it's a need, not a want. Correct. And because of that, there's just fewer, there's just fewer, there's fewer deals. Um, but yeah, like you said, there's not a lot of good inventory. So the good yeah. stuff is has offers on it. And you know, uh, the average stuff does it and sits. Yeah. And I think the mis, you correct me if you think differently, but the misconception from the consumers are, oh my God, I see price reductions everywhere. Hundred, you know, the market is just crashing, price reductions, price reductions. And I think, okay, yeah, the average stuff that is priced at the peak level or higher is not selling and getting price reductions. But the good product, which isn't much, one out of 10 houses, maybe two out of 10 houses are the good products priced fairly, are still getting activity and oftentimes multiple offers. So, uh, you know, like, what is, you, are you seeing the same thing? Same thing. I have a guy who's looking in kind of the 3 million-ish range on the West side. I mean, that's I impossible. You, I yeah. don't have to tell you what that market is like. Yeah. 
if it's anything good, there's going to be five to 10 offers. 15 offers on the one right now. The first place we bid on. First place we bid on. So there hasn't, it's not even like we're getting our our butts kicked left and right. This is the first house we're bidding on. Welcome to the market. Yeah. And, you know, you get like the, oh, but, you know, the house is, you know, maybe a little bit small. It's like, well, if it's bigger, you're, it's, it's going to be too expensive. Oh, but, you know, maybe it needs a little bit of work. It's like, well, I was like, it's a, it's a math equation yeah. and you got to make the math equation work. So either you're going to get location and size, but the condition's bad, or you're going to sacrifice on the condition uh, and the location, but something, you know, the yard's bigger, like. Yeah. It's put the puzzle together and put the math equation together. Something's got to give. Yeah. You're not going to get the best location, the best size house totally done. But at a, you know, that does it, it's the equation isn't going to fit to your wants. And yeah. I think the reality is we have seen in some specific situations, some price drops that are 5%, maybe even 10%. But for the most part, the good stuff is almost the same, if not the same. And, uh, you know, the interest rate situation certainly is going to put people on the fence on the sideline, but the people that have needs are still still buying and, and still selling. So uh, how do you see this market playing out over the next 12 to 18 months? What's your crystal ball telling you with interest rates where they are? Where do you see, when do you see that starting to come down? It's been down a little bit, but when do you, what do you see? What's your crystal ball telling you we're going to be, what our market's going to look like this year and maybe heading into next year? So I'm actually pretty comfortable taking a fairly like straightforward stance. I think the first quarter is going to be the bottom in terms of transactions. What's uh, behind so, us? The fourth quarter uh, last year or this no, year? No, first quarter right now. Oh, first quarter. Yeah. Right okay. now. So you think I we're think bottoming that, out now? Yeah. I think that um, if you look at sales in January, February, March, it's going to be way, way, way off. Um, but I feel better about the rest of the year. I think it's kind of more of like a seasonal market where, you know, first quarter is usually the worst. When you run a brokerage first quarter, you look at the numbers and you're like, why am I doing this? And then second and third quarter are really good. And you're like, okay, like I can actually make money doing this. Okay, I I get it. And then fourth quarter is, you know, usually decent, but first quarter is usually bad. Yeah, which makes sense seasonally because coming off the end of the year, the less transactions that usually would close January, February, March and then the spring selling season for March, April, May takes you into summer and then you're back to holiday season where it slows it. So that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. So you're feeling like we're, we're sort of in this bottoming period in this core, this next couple months. And we'll see. Nobody has any idea, but it certainly seems like that. It certainly feels, as you and I were discussing before we start recording it, just even over the last week or so, there, the activity has ticked up, the showings have ticked up. Uh, Sentiment is ticked up. Interest rates, they're down. They're down, not significantly down, but they are down. They're not at seven. You know, they're, they're certainly getting getting much lower than they were. Um, so that's interesting. Tell me what other challenges you see out there for, for agents and uh, in general, what, what people can expect. In, in, and do you think that there are things like, should an agent be trying to join a team if they're struggling? Should they be trying to go at it on their own? You know, what's your take on that? Because we get, you always get agents coming to me and saying that too, like, hey, should I join a team? Do you want people on your team? And I have sort of mixed feelings. It's different for each person, but 
What is your take on that? You know, agents wanting to be on a team versus being on their own. So I've listened to your podcast. So I think you and I are kind of similar on it. Um, I think that if you're an agent and either you don't have the time or the ability to go and do A to Z, uh, maybe you don't have the contacts or you know, uh, acquiring clients isn't your strong suit. I can understand being on a team, right? Because you know, theoretically, somebody else is fishing, handing you the fish, and then you're cooking it. You're doing a more specific job. Yeah. But as a generalization, um, I think if you can get your own business, um, you shouldn't be on a, it. In my view, it doesn't make sense to be on a team if you can get your own business. I do see like the ideal, like two people and an assistant. Yeah. Is, you know, either with the, either when you go to the team thing, either you got to be like a partnership, small, two agents and an assistant, that kind of thing, or two agents, two partner agents, oh, a buyer's small. agent, assistant, or you got to go like huge, like really, really big team. I think the problem is that when you're in that in-between is where your production suffers, uh, you don't have the economies of scale. And I think that you see a lot of this um, new school mindset with, look at me, I'm 25 agents. Yeah. Um, it's all ego. I'm looking at it, what I'm saying is, I want to make the most deals with the fewest people, period. Me too. So I think it's being efficient so, and profitable yeah. more than how many agents and what can you promote as your group volume? I, who cares? Yeah. And look, you can always bring in people too. Like, if I'm an agent and I don't have the resume, bring in an agent. You're going in the flats, bring yeah. in Rochelle Mays. You're going into Brentwood Park, bring in David Offer. You're going into um, uh, Los Feliz, bring in Constantine. There are people you can bring in. It doesn't, look, I, I think a company of my size, there are enough uh, talented people. You don't have to go outside, but maybe... The, the seller has a relationship with an agent at another company and you're not going to get it on your own. So you might as well try to get half of it, uh, uh, build your, your resume. And you, you hear that all the time with agents, you know, they're a brand new agent and they're so focused on their split. Yes. I hear Why don't you focus on getting trained well and learning the business and building something sustainable rather than the five bucks extra yes. that some company is going to give you that they're never going to pay any attention to you. Yeah. And you're going to do no deals anyway that first year or two. And you're worrying about that extra percent. I get it. And people, yeah. and I always say and believe that getting small pieces of deals is much better than doing no deal and trying to hold on to hundred percent and you're, you don't get it and you don't learn. And yeah, for sure. I think it's just a different mentality. Uh, there's, there's sort of, different, very different mentalities going on in our business at the same time. All right, I'm going to take it away from business. I'm going to go personal now. So tell me, what are some of your, outside of business and real estate, what are some of your hobbies, interests, passions? You mentioned swimming, surfing. Uh, that could be it. But, you know, let's talk to that. What do you like to do when you're not doing business and real estate? So I'm really regimented. Um, regimented on like... Are you anal, from... Mikey? Are you just like... OCD regimented? What do you, what do you? No, I'm not. Uh, I mean, there are parts of me, maybe locking, unlocking, locking my car door a little bit. I suffer <laughs> a little bit from that. Um, <laughs> you know, 
white my shirts. Party. I notice white shirts every time I see you. That's yeah, a big my, no, you know, I think that every. Can I get you a blue shirt. shirt or pink shirt? It would look good on your complexion. Pink shirt? No, I don't own a pink shirt. Um, oh, so I on. think like there's a certain like uh, way I like to do things, but in terms of like, yeah, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the water, swim, surf, ocean swim, something, um, uh, you know, run on elliptical. So I take like, I take being in shape really serious. Yeah. You like being I always like laugh that somebody training. has like an expensive car and they wash it and they wax it. And then they take horrible care of their health, which to me, the most valuable thing you have is your health. Thank you. Totally. Totally. Um, and then, you know, uh, married, three kids, uh, a 10 year old boy, an eight year old girl and a five year old uh, girl. So they that keep are. me busy, spending <laughs> a lot of time with them. Uh, my older daughter is on a, a dance team. I pick her up from that and I always go fun. and watch the end of it. Um, That's so a lot of family time. Um, and then other, other hobbies I like to read. Definitely don't do it enough. Uh, hoping that I'll get better about it uh, later on. Uh, sports. I know you're a sports guy. I like watching sports. I like uh, SC football. Uh, definitely this year. Uh, <laughs> aside from our our poorest defense, but yeah, uh, I mean last year was unbearable. I couldn't even watch. Been unbearable for many years, but we're getting there. We're turning it around. We just need a defense now. Yeah. <laughs> um. Could I could I answer, Can I talk real quick about one thing, uh, which I think is a little bit different about our family business than maybe other family businesses? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um, and it's also kind of goes to personal too a little bit. So most of the time, right? You have a, a patriarch, you have a matriarch. They build a business. They did it their way, you know, with their iron fist. And then you kind of go to the second generation, and then it's kind of like, okay, how does that transition happen? In yeah. our business, my dad was ready to be out. My dad was probably worked five or 10 years longer in it than he wanted to. Okay. So I started running it when I was 26. January 1st, 2008. Wow. Really, really young. Um, so I think the difference for me was I didn't have to deal with that part of it with who's going to be the, the next one in line. Brother and sister didn't want it. Dad was was happy to be done as soon as possible. Mom was busy brokering deals. So we had kind of that part of it. The other thing I think, which is maybe a little bit more unique is I've kept my uh, ownership the same as my siblings. I don't own more of the real estate company. I don't own less. I own more of the escrow business than anybody else. But I view that kind of the equality and sort of the the mindset of everybody being in the same level, uh, sibling wise. And then the other thing I think, which is a little bit different is that everybody contributes whether they work at the company or not. So my mom is obviously easy face of the company, brought in a lot of business, doles out leads, the whole deal. Yeah. Um, my sister uh, has brought in some clients, uh, helped recruit agents, you know, active in like the shareholder meetings we have and also like changing it from like a mom and pop business to like having like a shareholder agreement and having everything be legit. Yes, we're family, but all the paperwork is done like we are not related, which is the right way to do it. And then you've got like my brother 
who's very creative. And I don't know if you know him, but I think you guys are kind of similar ages. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Uh, went to school with your, with your wife, with Jessica. So on his pulse on like brand stuff, dealing with our merch, doing like digital marketing for us, Instagram, uh, you know, uh, layouts, kind of like the architect of like the rebrand. Uh-huh. So it's cool because we've all worked together, Perfect. even though we're all in somewhat different businesses. Um, and I don't think there was really any like jealousy or animosity. And then other things that uh, we did, which I think have worked for us, were I had a certain amount that I wanted to have in reserves, right? I came out of, I, I cut my teeth in 08. So the first two years that I ran the business, we lost money. And, you know, I got to have those fun conversations of like, we have X amount of cash at this burn rate. Yeah. This is how long it'll take before the money is, is yeah. gone. So I wanted to have a certain amount of cash before I started distributing more regularly and more money. So it took me up until about a couple of years ago to get to there. So I think well-run family businesses, and I've read a lot and I've watched panels and gone online. They're usually very, very good about you have a certain amount of cash in the kitty and then you distribute a certain amount, but you never get to a point where the shareholders need to write a check to fund the business. Sure. So. Sure. Yeah, uh, that's smart. And, you know, it's interesting. It's probably pretty unique. I, you usually hear about a lot of infighting, especially when there's change of generational management and siblings conflicts and who's taking over and who's got. So you do hear about that a lot. You also hear, and I've heard, I'm sure you have too, that people don't take it like it's a real business and don't do the paperwork and the fundamental business structures correct. And then down the line somewhere, it could be three generations down the line. It, there's conflict and there's no business paperwork and it just creates so much trouble and headache and money to uh, to figure that stuff out, you know, decades later. So it, it's smart that I'm, you guys did I'm, that. Danny, I'm boring. I make money, <laughs> nothing controversial, no girls, no Miss Playmate of the Year, no girls kissing in a property video, uh, understated. I do it right. Over and over again, singles and doubles, and and uh, keep a low profile, and that's sort of what I like and what works for me, and it All makes right. it much smoother because you don't have kind of the like, you know, you've got some of that with the market, but I try to minimize it. You keep it steady. I like it. I like that style. I, I uh, can relate to that. So talk to me back to personal. Uh, what are some of the books that you've thought would be or great books that you like that you think people should read it? They're in our business. Well, anything you would suggest? I liked uh, Dale Carnegie, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Okay. I've listened to some of his podcasts about worry and stress. And um, I think it's really, really intelligent. And uh, he does a really good job of like, you know, don't correct people. Um, and then with like the how to stop worry, you know, like, except like the worst outcome, right? So what's the worst outcome that could happen in business? The worst outcome that could ever happen is theoretically, I could be the one that takes the company under. I don't, I feel pretty confident that that won't happen during my tenure, but let's just, if you can accept that, if I could accept that one day that that could happen, you know, you've, 
you feel a lot more relaxed. Or if you know you have a listing, worst case, you don't sell it. Yeah. If you can accept that, <laughs> you'll feel a lot less stressed out than like, you know, eating it up and 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 all of that worry just kills you, uh, makes your sleep go to hell, bad for your health, and it doesn't make you any more productive. If anything, it makes no, you it makes it worse. Makes it worse. So uh, Dale Carnegie was good. I'm trying to think of some of the other business books. I read The Art of War, which was good. Kind of the Classic. idea of like formlessness. Um, I don't exactly embody formlessness because I think everybody knows what I'm going to do. I just think my viewpoint is like, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. You know what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it well enough and consistent enough that it's going to work. Um, yeah. But um, those were two of the books that I that I really liked. There have been other ones. I read uh, the biography of Warren Buffett, which I liked. Ugh. I read um, that Alan Greenspan book, uh, The Age of Turbulence, which I thought was good. It's another good one. You have any favorites? Oh, I just read everything. So uh, not always business books. So it, all, all everything you mentioned, I've read. Yeah, I mean, I, I read everything. Uh, you know what I loved recently? Uh, I didn't read recently, but they made a show about it re recently. Shantaram, which has nothing to do with business. I don't know if you know that book. But they just made a huge Netflix show on it. A guy that moves to India to, to escape uh, his criminal life in Australia. It's it's insane. The book was better than the show. But I read everything. <laughs> business books, uh, nonfiction, fiction, everything, everything. Uh, any movies you, you love? What are some favorites of yours? So I love Godfather. Oh. One and two, yeah. uh, I think are incredible. Yeah. I think there's good. a lot of life lessons in there. I know people will say, oh, but it's- Family business. Once you get in, you business, get out. <laughs> the personalities, right? You got you got uh, Sonny, the, the temper, fiery. Sure. You've got uh, Fredo, who maybe kind of- Fredo. Overlooked. <laughs> you got Michael, who's cold and calculated. Um, and also it's interesting because you see sort of like the migration, right? They're in New York and then they shift to Vegas. Uh, so yeah, I, I really, I really like that one. Um, can't beat that. No, I mean, I think that's probably the, the best. And, and the third one, I know everybody, uh, hates on it, but it's not that bad. It's just the first two are so good. Yeah. Uh, if we're in your playlist, what are some songs we're listening to? What are the songs that get you inspired, fired up, ready to go? I like oh, 80s. 80s? Yeah. Like, like 80s. 80s, like rock, big hair rock band 80s, or like new wave 80s, pop? 80s like, um, 80s like Depeche Mode. Oh, 80s. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I went to see them uh, a couple concerts. I like Depeche Mode a lot. I, all of the, all of the, the new wave 80s at Beverly High. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I wasn't, I wasn't at Beverly High in the 80s, but I know, but it was big. But yeah, no, I just, I, I, I like it. I think it's, uh, it's like upbeat. Uh, it's not all happy, but I mean, I just think it, it, it feels good. So yeah, that's probably awesome. my well, go-to. Before we wrap up, any words of wisdom, words of advice that you want to leave us with? You are definitely one of the good guys. Always like seeing you and hanging out and talking because you know you're a straight shooter, and I appreciate it. But anything else you want to drop? Any nuggets that you you well, feel like we should communicate here while we have you? 
Well, the first thing is I can't believe we haven't done a deal together. Oh, we haven't. No. No. Which to me is crazy because I think I've been here. I've done it twenty years, and yeah, even longer. I've been about twenty years. I I I started uh, brokering deals in '03. So similar times. Um, I I think for like agents getting into the business, you know, get a good mentor, learn things the right way, take care of your reputation. Yeah, there's a couple of charlatans in our industry who make money, but there's not that many of them. Uh, and you can do, you can make a good living doing it the right way, being honorable, having agent relationships. Um, you know, you don't have to, you don't, don't learn from the scorched earth policy people. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously like, look, it's a, it's a listing business. Yeah. If you're on the listing side, you're going to make a good living and things are going to go well. It's very hard to do it as a buyer's agent. Um, even in the market right now, right? You'd say, okay, if you have a good buyer, you're in a better position, but like, good luck finding the inventory. Yeah. You're one of 10 if you find something decent. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and to like established agents, you should work somewhere that you like with people that you respect, colleagues that you want to be around. The idea of, you know, I'm at my company because they give me a really good deal or I'm at my company because they leave me alone. Neither of those is a good reason to work somewhere. Agreed 100%. To me, when someone's like, oh, well, I have an amazing deal. Like, like yeah. I, I would almost borderline say that that's stupid. Right. Um, how many more deals? Yeah, how many more things can you get done if you were in a good work culture where you like people, communicate with people, see people? People don't get the value of that. And in the relationship business, that can add tremendous revenue yeah. and value <laughs> and and i and they leave me alone they shouldn't be leaving you alone they should be actively involved in your business i know who's doing deals in my office like i have an agent who's doing a deal um i called the agent on the other side who's a friend of mine to congratulate her you want somebody who's passionate whether owners management into it aware and I do think that as a generalization, this is going to be a much easier time for boutiques, less overhead, more specialized, especially in luxury. But with that being said, there are different companies for different agents, and hopefully there's a one that works for, for each person. Love it. Well, great to see you. Hopefully we can uh, do a deal together soon. I don't want to wait 20 years, another 20 <laughs> I'm getting too many here. and we should go surf. So let me know when, because I need to get back in the water. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'd to. love to. <laughs> All right, man. Well, enjoy. Have a good weekend. Great to see you. And I appreciate you spending some time with us and uh, I'll see you in the, in the streets. Look forward to it. Thanks, Danny. All right. Great job, Mikey.